When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Revived Thoughts is a production of Revive Studios. This is Troy and Joel, and you're listening to Revive Thoughts. Troy, we're doing we're doing a little bit of something different this week. I'm excited. Yes, this is a different kind of episode than what you different are used kind of to. Episode. And and don't 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 worry, listener. Your revived thoughts sermons aren't going anywhere. We're gonna keep those uh, coming in the feed persistently. But every once in a while, actually quite a lot of the time, uh, people ask us, you know, could you explore? an aspect of church history and kind of talk about it a little bit more in depth and, and just almost in a conversation like there are these topics that we see, uh, these themes that we see throughout the last 1900 years of church history. And Troy and I, I know we always talk about like, man, we could we could talk for a half an hour about this topic or we could really flesh this out. This would be really neat. And we usually don't have time or, or the format of the show doesn't really allow for us to, to take the time to deep dive into a concept that we see in church history. And so we wanted to kind of mix in and kind of sprinkle in these, what we're calling revived conversations. I think, I think yeah. is the name we settled on here. We're, where we're, we're going to take a concept of, uh, that we see persistent in church history, something that we maybe have questions about, something that maybe affects how we look back on church history, maybe something that, uh, is very applicable to how we live our life today and kind of flesh it out. We, people were, hoping we're assuming that you know if you're listening to revive thoughts you also maybe have these thoughts or these questions mm-hmm. and, and would find these conversations interesting and so uh without further ado we're gonna we're gonna premiere this type of episode and again uh, next week we'll have a normal revive thoughts episode every once in a while you'll come across these revive conversation episodes with revive thoughts you're looking at one individual life and then you're looking at a sermon with these episodes we're hoping to kind of take that broader picture of church history and apply it to your life what are the lessons we are learning mm. after doing over a hundred sermons and a hundred of these men plus revived devos plus helping elise with martyrs and missionaries we've kind of gotten some insight into how the church has worked and kind of done things and we would love to be able to help you take those home and apply them And there i think these will be great episodes for you to share with others like hey, you want to check out Revive Thoughts? Maybe you're not sure what sermon to jump into, but get a, li- get a listen to what these guys have to say about church history because a lot of people don't even understand why they don't understand church history, like why that would even be important to them. Yeah, yeah. And so these might be almost monologues that, that one of us has about, you know, some thoughts that we, we are convicted by or thoughts that we want to explore more about church history. These these could be conversations. We might even include some guests in this to have, to have kind of a fleshed out thought process as we kind of explore these different concepts in church history. But to, but to today, today, Troy uh, came at me and he says, Joel, let's let's talk about flawed men in church history and i said it's it's time (laughs) let's let's go ahead and tackle that that's something that you know we we talk a lot about on the show is is flawed men these great men of god god that people that god no doubt used in throughout history throughout the church and strengthened the church and made us who we are today uh some of them have 
a sin in their life you yeah. know that have are, are, were at times and and had questionable morality had had failures how do we come to terms with that because it's a real it is there are real criticisms and real things i kind of always think of it like some of these men we cover on our shows are just really cool men really interesting people but i ask myself would i go to their church like if i could sit mm-hmm. in their pew today if they suddenly came back to life or they were running their church would i go to some of these men's church and i have to answer sometimes i you know i don't think yeah. i would i think that these flaws that we see in them are you know are so big that it would be hard to sit in the pew of that person's church day after day knowing that they have some of the flaws that we can kind of cover yet at the same time we have never not covered a flawed man you know every single person on all of our shows has something that is is wrong something that's not very good when i think about church history and how important studying church history is you know it, it i learned uh, not that long ago that at one point the entire church basically was like you should believe in the bible and they would say theology this is we have really good theology and they would use theological arguments and then the other arguments they would use is they would say and here's church history to prove that we're telling the truth those were the two ways you proved the bible was real through the theology and through the church history now that was during a more catholic time and church history back then would include uh, miracles and visions and, you know, statues and relics and things like that. We don't really do that anymore, and I don't think that's a bad thing. But we do throw out the... We don't, some, some people do. That's true. <laughs> some of our listeners will say, I still do that. What are you talking about? But... Uh, <laughs> it, largely in the Protestant uh, We're not going to do that. Yeah. yeah. And yet, at the same time, I don't think it was a bad thing for the church to put forward. One of the reasons you can believe that the Bible is authentic and that Christ is real is the work that God has done throughout church history a little bit of the old you know the old cliche phrase of throwing the bath out the uh, the baby out of the bathwater that is a little bit of what we did because something that has surprised me was i have found that there are actually people who have accepted christ not through reading a scripture although that does happen for sure but also through reading church history and famously saint augustine was listening to a friend of his give a recounting of the life of a famous saint not uh you know a theological letter but a famous saint, when he had to walk away and like go, oh my gosh, I, I need to believe in this now. And that, and there are others too. I, I can name other individuals whom it was not the scripture, but it was the story of God working through his church that brought them into the fold. And this is something that, church history is something that can really strengthen our beliefs. It can help us better understand our beliefs. It can help us appreciate God's work since Acts. And yet, if you ask the average Christian, if you were to go to a church today and say, how important on a scale of 1 to 10 is, you know, the preaching, the teaching, or even how important on a scale of 1 to 10 is theology books, who are your favorite theologians, and they'll give you several, and then, you know, what's your favorite moment, you know, what's your favorite church history stuff, and I think most people would get a lot quieter on that second question. Mm. It's definitely it's definitely not something that, e- even, even amongst Bible college, even amongst seminaries, you might have one... I mean, you can obviously take electives and go down the rabbit hole, but maybe one church history class, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's not something that's terribly stressed uh, in today's day and age, especially compared to previous centuries. Yeah. And when you get into that one, because I took a, a classes at a, you know, a very nice seminary not that long ago. And when you get to that class, you're going to run through, you know, the entire Reformation in one or two hours of the class. You're going to run through, you know, you're not sitting and spending time with any of these deep subjects instead. And it's not to say that seminaries should be all about church history, um, but I would say that it's not quite as seen as important. 
Elise said it in an interview, and I think she said it better than I could ever say it, and this was an interview we did. Um, the, the, the question was, why, did, why don't Christians care that much about church history? What is, what's the deal? What's the disconnect? And Elise actually, I think, hit the nail on the head better than I would have even thought to, which was that most people are scared of church history. Now, they wouldn't say, oh, I'm scared of a history book or something like that. But what they're scared of is church history full of flawed men, full of people who have different theology and different way of viewing the world and different ways of acting than we do. They don't really want to study them because they don't want to study something wrong. I mean, at least a thousand years of church history from 580 to 1500 AD, that's all Catholic. So that's going to be completely its own separate, you know, thing from the rest of us Protestants. And there's so many other people in throughout church history who hold just beliefs and values and things that are different. Uh, maybe they themselves seemed pretty cool, but then maybe the denomination that they founded wasn't so great. Whatever it is, or they're going to have some weird belief that over the you know past 200 years has been argued about so much that they don't seem very good. And you can just skip all that and stick with the people around today, and then you don't have to worry about any of that. All that, you know, you're not going to be corrupted by any of that bad theology if you just don't have to spend any time with it. And so we ignore much of church history that doesn't really align with what we believe, and we don't really learn much from the lives of the people who, even though a lot of times I, I can point to many members in this audience, will, will you, you would look over at your bookshelf and you will see books from some of these great people of church history, and you're like, I got that book by Jonathan Edwards or Charles Virgin or Martin Luther or Dietrich Bonhoeffer or whoever it is you like, and you're looking right at it on the shelf. But so many times we get emails from people who go, I have always liked such and such as writing, but I didn't even know anything about their life until I ran into your show because there's a disconnect between the mm -hmm. lives lived and the writings they wrote. And yeah, and I think it's important to stress the, the why we think it's important to know our church history and to be aware of church history is, you know, kind of that famous saying, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. We're seeing in our churches the same flaws, the same characteristics that have previous generations have gone through. And because you know, I, I feel like our our generation is largely just unaware of, or you know, if not blatantly ignoring, just simply unaware of, um, yeah, what what our current status leads to. Yeah, we we'll go through the same problems and we'll think we're the first people. To yeah, have done we it. think. Yeah, we wow. think we're the first. We think we're the first no. generation that has these these new thoughts and that our theology is is better now. And that, yeah, and and it's all been done for. And it's crazy because I feel like every single episode, I, I, I send it out, you know, I write the social media script for the episodes of Revive Thoughts. I go and I'll go, wow, really relevant episode. This is exactly with what we're dealing with today. But they all feel that way because every episode, people are dealing with the same old problems. Other the, you know, other churches are going soft on the faith. The culture is coming at them really hard. Maybe there's some persecution here. Maybe there's some this and that there. You know, there's some health problems or whatever. But so similar, the, the same stories are almost kind of always in repeat, not because it's boring, but because like we have really legitimately gone through this multiple times as a church. And so if we can look back at the past and see, well, how did the winners, you know, in a sense, even just from that pragmatic perspective, well, how did the guys who we like today, how did they deal with some of these problems versus the guys who we didn't? You can learn a lot from that. But I did want to say, too, that this not all, you know, this not all good. One of the one of the things that makes this idea of the flawed men kind of difficult is because these men are actually flawed. Like it could be easy to say, look, we're getting too hard on them from a modern perspective. You know, there's there, you know, but let's be let's be real and let's be fair. These people were not perfect. They were not all great. Um, some of them 
were actually, you know, had some real problems. I, I think the easiest one to go to first, the, the one that comes up the most for us, I can't tell you how many times we've had to answer this question on a interview or something is, well, what do you, you know, what do you do with the fact that some of them were racist, that some of them would have at the very least opinions on race that today we certainly would go, that's not good. That's not how we view things at all. That's not, we're all created equal under the image of God. Um, and even people that we like, uh, Jonathan Edwards, whom we've done several episodes on, George Whitfield, who we've done several episodes on, Cotton Mather, which we have an episode of him uh, coming out real soon with Ed Backel, which is one of our great speakers and great uh, volunteers. You know, John Dagg, Carol, I mean, these are, we've literally had Confederates on our show and, you know, former slave owners. What These are clearly flawed men. And are we in some way lifting up somebody who shouldn't be lifted up in that way? So how do we deal with this idea that these people with these big flaws over here, does that come, do we, do we diminish the flaw if we still put their sermon or still talk about them or still read their book? And do we say, well, they had issues here, but they're good over here. Does that diminish it and say, well, then that means we don't think it's a big deal. And even harder and a real question we have to ask is how do we contextualize it? How do we make it remind ourselves that we live 250 years, 300 years removed? Um, how do we say, are we even allowed to? There are some people who say you can't contextualize a sin like that, like slave owning or racism. It is so bad that it transcends that. And I would agree that that is a really bad sin. But a good example was, this is something we had to wrestle with on our episode of George Whitfield. George Whitfield very famously held really big evangelistic rallies and meetings uh, for African Americans at a times when at a time when most speakers, actually pretty much no one else, would go and speak in front of them. And by doing so, he probably created the African Methodist Church. By doing that, by create, by giving these ministers and these people a chance to hear the gospel, many people got saved. Is it whitewashing history to say that he did that because it's true? And does that make it sound like we're justifying the fact that he thought slave owning was good, which he also did believe? I, I it's tough because there's you know there's this dichotomy where he did do some good things and he also did do some bad things, and we live in a time where. It, it, you're not really allowed to have kind of these people aren't allowed to be complicated. They're good. They're bad. Right. And there's nothing black else or white. In between. Exactly. They need to be one or the other. And this idea that they can have done some good things and some bad things is really difficult. That's just the flaw of racism. Anti-Semitism falls into that. Luther. We like Luther. We've done a lot of episodes on Luther, but he had a book titled The Jews and Their Lies. And throughout the book, he called them the brood of vipers. And there are several great people that we like, several great reformed people who had similar opinions of Jewish people. Um, I actually thought John Calvin fell into this camp, but John Calvin doesn't fall into this camp. But look at John Calvin and how he ran Geneva and how the fact that they would stone, you know, a girl for not listening to her parents or somebody for gambling. I mean, that's not exactly a city any of us, you know, it had some good things in the city, you know, all are equal under the law. That was a good idea, but it's not a city any of us today would want to go live in, I don't think. Um, and so I go, okay, well, you know, he had a little bit better views on anti-Semitism, but his views on other things, not so good. Um, what, you know, who, who of us would say that John Calvin was dumb or that he doesn't have some good books? Most of us would say that he does. Yeah. At the same time, would any of us want to live in Geneva? And I would say probably not many of us would want to. Cotton Mather, another guy, great sermons, great preaching. I can't wait to do an episode on him and helped lead the Salem witch trials and caused innocent people to be kind of killed in a massive panic, which we did an episode of a deep dive on. And Balthazar Hubmeyer, he had a program against Jews right before he left the Catholic Church, which caused a bunch of trouble. I mean, this, and these are just the, the outward things. And there's the personal lives. If I said, hey, there's a pastor who has a terrible relationship with his wife, and they had a really ugly divorce, it was very public, um, you want to go to his church? 
Probably not. Yet John Wesley, most people would say, had some really admirable qualities. What if I told you I was a pastor who didn't seem to really in any way parent his children or have any investment in their lives? Yet A.W. Tozer, who would fit that, most people think he was a really good preacher as well, and I would agree. C.S. Lewis is beloved by many Christians, um, from Catholics to evangelicals, yet he has made some troubling statements. Just if you're going to take lines out of, you know, statements, um, he has said, and I'm just going to quote a couple of them. I could, I looked for more. There was a website dedicated to him, and I like C.S. Lewis, mind you. Um, but it said, he basically said this quote here, still believe as I do that all Holy Scriptures are in some sense, though not all parts of it, in the same sense, the Word of God. Basically saying, some parts of Scripture are the, Holy, or the Word of God, some parts are not so much. In reference to Genesis, he said, I have therefore no difficulty in accepting, say, the view of scholars who tell us the account of creation in Genesis is derived from earlier Semitic stories, which were pagan and mythical. So in C.S. Lewis, in this quote, he's saying not the idea that maybe seven-day creation was, you know, standing for billions of years or science, which some people hold to. He's saying, I think that whole creation story was borrowed from pagans or someone else, and they just kind of put it into Genesis because they had to put it somewhere. He's saying he wouldn't fight back if someone was He wouldn't fight back. I think most Christians today would say, whoa, wait a second. If I heard a famous pastor of today say that or tweet it out, that would be upsetting. Big red flag. The... And I, and I, you know, if I had to title this segment, this rant that you're doing right now, it Thanks. would be, who is uh, your favorite speaker? And here's Did why I get terrible. them all? Did I hit everybody's? Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> someone that you like, and uh, this is why they're awful. Yes. The, we, we do, and I, and I, I know you were going to touch on this, but when we're, when we're picking out bullet points in, in mm-hmm. a person's life, you know, if we're going to summarize a person's life down to three bullet points, it's, I, I feel like doing a disservice because there's you know they if they lived 80 years condensing that time down you live a lot of life in 80 years sure. a lot of people change a lot of people develop and grow there are certain things that people say when they're 20 that they're not going to say when they're 50 and and in reverse there is the problem sure. some people say some really great things in their 20s and 30s and, and then they kind of kind of say some as stuff. well yeah and so yeah a lot of the times people can find awful things that people come to or or hold to that uh you know by the time they died they they didn't mm-hmm. believe in that at all they, they've you know they've changed their mind on a lot of topical issues like that that's really hard to filter through uh history through time yes. and i would agree with that and that was actually kind of my main point my main point um was not just to take everybody's favorite people and just run them through a punching bag and say did i you know did i leave anybody else is there anybody else i need to hit if that was what you thought I was doing, you really don't pay t- I don't know that you pay attention to Revive Studios because we kind of do the opposite over the, over the most of the time here. But the goal... You, this, this episode really is devil advocate. We're <laughs> really, really we're really shining a light on... I mean, whenever we film Revive Thoughts, or film, whenever we record it, uh, we often say, like, we don't want to... Just sandbag these guys. Well, we don't... We also don't want to cover him up okay, we, we yeah. don't want to hide who they were as a person we never want to get accused of yeah sweeping anything under the rug um but we genuinely reflect them in a positive light mm-hmm. um this this episode we're, we're really just because the discussion is flawed men yes so acknowledging establishing that these guys are flawed uh but keep in mind obviously if you listen to the show yeah. we we obviously land on the other side of uh 
And that's kind of the point. Right. Like, we could sit here, and if I told you, and I think that, and I, the reason this is so important to me, in a sense, I sat through church history classes, and I've sat through discussions of church history where this is all that church history is. It's just, oh, this guy you like, actually, he's a bad guy because he held this belief. Or, oh, this guy you like, well, he's actually secretly super evil because he did this at one point. And like you said, their entire life will be condensed to a couple bullet points. Well, they say they're a Christian. Well, we're going to throw that out. And there are legit, and here's the problem with this discussion, too. We would, a lot of us would rush to defend a lot of the people I just said and say, look, you're taking, you know, that's one line or that's just one moment or not everybody has everything perfect or blah, blah, blah. Yet the other side of the problem for church history and, and understanding it is there are bad men. There are legitimately heretics and there are legitimately cult leaders and there are people who were, who are really only worth studying as a cautionary tale, as people who caused a lot of problems. There are people whose sermons should not be revived. We have turned down on multiple occasions sermons to revive because I found out something about the person that I think was not worth bringing to the table. Or, you know, I very remember, remember one time I was reading through a sermon and I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then about halfway through the whole thing fell into like Freemasonry and it got really weird. And I was really excited about the first half of that sermon. Then got really weird in the second half. Um, and then I looked him up and the guy was like, not a good guy at all. That sermon's really not worth remembering. That stuff does happen. And that's one of the hard parts is how do we know when somebody is just a flawed person who had some issues or were they really just not a good person? Or if they were a Christian, they're so just a Christian by such a skin of their teeth. Is it really worth shining a light on them and highlighting who they were? Not everyone in church history should really be deeply remembered. So with so many questions, I understand the perspective that I think a lot of people have on church history, which is, I, you know, it kind of goes back to what Elise said. I'm scared. A lot of people are scared. She wasn't, but a lot of people are scared. of If I learn church, I don't want to learn church history because I might learn something bad. Or I, some of these people are so flawed, I can't really do anything with them. It's so, it's so complicated. Humans are so difficult. Is it worth my time? And I would definitely say, yes, it is. Um, absolutely, it is. Church history, despite all these flawed people, is still so much more worth your time. It's so much worth your time to not only learn about church history, but also to kind of get over some of those issues we have with these flawed people. Um, we have we have the Bible, and we have great theology books to read, and there are great preachers of today. And you may think, that's enough. I don't need church history, but I think you do. I'm going to illustrate it with this kind of story, because this story is one moment, and it's from probably about a year ago in an episode of Charles Spurgeon that really stood out to me. I really enjoyed it. And it was Charles Spurgeon was preaching at George Whitfield's church, his old church in London. And he looks into the audience and, it, you know, it, the, I think the place was like Whitfield Tabernacle or something like that. And he looks around them and he goes, yeah, so where is the Whitfield of today? He was like, is there anyone who's encouraging and challenging and convicting the people of London like a man like Whitfield once did? I stand here to like accuse you, basically. Why have, why have the people of London no longer delivered men of Whitfield's caliber? And it's a great, you know, it's a great challenge. It's a really, I completely agree with that. In fact, I think we often kind of like, where are the people of Revive Thoughts is time today? And yet, of course, the irony of that moment to me is that Spurgeon is the Whitfield of his time. Like he, he doesn't even realize it, but he is that guy. He's the person who will convict London. He's the person who will bring tons of people. His sermons will be read all around the world. Maybe, how do you compare who was more impactful? But definitely Spurgeon could certainly fill the role of being the Whitfield of his time. And massive crowds are coming to hear him. But Spurgeon 
was looking up to someone that he saw as beyond himself. It was someone who had come before him, someone that was inspiring him, someone that in his mind had crossed dangerous ocean waters to spread the gospel all around the known world at his time, having no problem and seeing nothing that could keep him from sharing the gospel. Spurgeon saw in Whitfield an evangelist who would just go that extra mile to proclaim the good news to anyone he could, and it challenged him to see himself as less, and instead it challenged the people around him to deliver someone like Whitfield again. And when we don't have church history, the irony is we want to kind of get rid of church history and be like, oh, these people are bad. They're going to corrupt us. They hold old-fashioned values, and we're, we're, we're better now. We've kind of learned past them. And yet I think the irony is that if you throw out church history, that's when you become too narrow-minded. Mm-hmm. That's when you become too focused on today. Yeah, and I guarantee you 200 years from now, people will look at all of our biggest pastors today and find very yes. notable flaws. Yeah. And and people will be debating whether or not they should be remembering sermons from from our big names today. <laughs> there's there's that's how history works. Especially cuz they might be coming at it from another continent and a completely different civilization and they might say, "Look, we don't need to put your favorite pastor in because they they weren't addressing this issue that mm. they see as a problem." Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's it's crazy to think about what the church might be about. Looking back through history, you know, we see these trends in the church. We see kind of different eras. You know, I, I feel like they kind of break down into like a 200-year pocket. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's about right, Troy? Maybe. I, maybe. Maybe smaller, maybe larger. Hey, you could kind of say from the 1500s to the 1700s is like a Puritan Reformation yeah. kind of time. Yeah. At least for people who are Protestant. And then you could say like from the 1800s to like... The early 1900s was right. like a big missionary evangelistic, you know, spread the world with gospel. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of, I feel like we've moved almost into a different era, but I don't I, know what that I era agree. is per se. I agree. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. And I, I don't know what that is. I don't think it's going to be good in the in the, <laughs> in the the realm. Of, it could be bad. Yeah, like a thousand years from now, people are going to look back at the turn of the century and be like, oof, man, what a... What what a dry time in Christianity. What a what hey, a, there is that aspect though. Like I mean, we if I if you wanted me to point out missionaries who traveled the world and did amazing things, I can name several from the 1700s and the 1800s. Kind of before that, missions wasn't as much a thing. But I can name people even up until like the mid early 1900s. I can name people who were just traveling all around the world. But you asked me to name like a Hudson who is today's Hudson Taylor, and mm-hmm. if he exists, he's not famous. Like I don't know him, or I I don't think you I don't know. Can you think of a John G. Patton or a Hudson of today? No. Exactly. So, like, there's definitely something there that has kind of moved away. Yeah, yeah. And and even almost, not even as a specific fault of any specific era or church, but churches, as they go through time, tend to stress specific topics. Send, you know, their their environment, their feedback bubble. Um, they tend to talk a lot about very specific topics and forget other topics. Um and 200 years now, when people look back at this era, I feel like a lot of the negativity is going to be like, they didn't really talk about, you know, like, spiritual warfare or something like that. Like, yeah. this just wasn't a thing that they talked about around the turn of the century. Um, and again, not they will have their own faults in the future sure. as well. But um, And the people after them will come after them. And- <laughs> right, right. Uh, and, it, and that is also one of the big reasons why we have to, no matter if the people are flawed, you can learn more about your church and the way you're doing things by understanding the way they used to do things. Um, and we can see how all these different pictures kind of play together and give us this really broad scope. Because when you're doing a show like Revive Thoughts and when you're thinking about history, you also realize that what's happening right now is going to be history someday and how important that is. You are, in a sense, living 
in church history. It's just not written down yet. Like this moment of church history hasn't been snapshot, but a hundred years from now, they'll be looking at what you're doing. It's so easy to think, oh, those people back then were doing this, that, and the other, but you're going to be a part of that someday of this people back in the past. I'm not saying you should live your life hoping that someone a hundred years from now thinks what you did was important, but at the same time, you should realize that what you do impacts the world past you and beyond you. So there's all these other really good reasons why to look at church history, but I also, so we went through all the bad things. Here's something else to think about. Your situation, where you're at right now, is not maybe as bad as you think it is. Now, you, there could be somebody who, you know, writes in and goes, I, you know, just lost every limb in a car accident and my family lost the farm. Okay, not to you, you person. You, you Genuinely you super sad case. I'm not yeah. talking about you, maybe. But for the average person who's, you know, going to church and enjoying um, and is worried maybe about the church today, I would say it's not maybe as bad as you think it is. Uh, for example, did you just land, you know, in a boat in the worst civil war of all history, like Hudson Taylor? Or did you have to deal with the Black Plague like Wycliffe? Or did you watch people die in the trenches of World War One like Mason? Did you watch your family lose their fortune like J.C. Ryle? Were you a criminal looking to score some easy bucks like Mueller? And these are rife five thoughts, guys. If I go over to Martyrs and Missionaries, has anyone in all of history experienced a story like Gladys Aylward? <laughs> like, if you've listened to that three-parter, it's crazy. She watched 200 martyrs get killed in the town square. Have you had to see anything like that? Were you almost poisoned and murdered like Annie Taylor? Did you have tuberculosis like David Brainerd? Or animals maul your friends in the Gladiator Coliseum like Polycarp? Or did the Catholic Church lock you in a tower like John Bradford? Probably not. For most of you, I would imagine the answer to those questions are, no, I've never experienced anything like that. Well, throughout church history, we can point to brothers and sisters in Christ who have experienced all those very things. And when we see them experience that and persevere through that and live for the faith through that, we go, you know what? My life is actually not quite as bad. This moment in church history, though, has its problems. Maybe if I put it in that perspective, I realize, okay, it's not it's not the worst moment I've ever been through. And the other cool thing about church history is we can find people like us there. There is a person for everybody. Maybe you have a physical handicap and you think, I can't do anything. Well, George Matheson, he was blind, but he preached before the Queen of England at the highest moment of her power. Do you struggle with depression? Well, Spurgeon can relate to that, and he talks about how melancholy haunted, melancholy haunted his soul. What about other mental disorders? So many of these guys, from Hudson Taylor, who had a mental break at the end of his life, Jonathan Swift did too, A.B. Simpson always struggled. This is a common problem. What about disadvantages in life? I had it harder. You know, I grew up in a harder spot. Well, Christmas Evans could not read until he was 17, and he was a poor minor kid in the 1800s, but he led a church that did very well in Wales. David Livingston started working at the age of 10 in a factory, had to pay for his own schooling at night while living in a one-room apartment with six siblings and parents. D.L. Moody's dad died, and then the oldest brother ditched the family, leaving his mom alone with several kids to make ends meet. Alexander White's dad was also never in the picture. He just was never in the picture. His mom had to raise him alone as an out-of-wedlock child when it was very much frowned upon to do so. Calvin's dad wanted him to be a lawyer, and Calvin could not go down that road. Luther's dad wanted the same thing. Annie Taylor's parents said, if you try to be a missionary, we'll cut you off, and then they did. And Andrew Gray's dad locked him in the attic to keep him from going to church. These are just family situations. What about the big situations, you know, the kind of bigger ones? Or what about struggles? Did you, you struggle with addiction to alcohol? Samuel P. Jones and Schofield know what that's like. Do you struggle with unrighteous lust? Well, St. Augustine can tell you he knows what that's like as well. Don't feel cut out for ministry. Did you fail something? David Livingston failed his first preaching exam. <laughs> Did not do too well at that. So many others have struggled and had issues throughout church history. And you will find that what you're going through is, is a little more common maybe than you think it is. These people can inspire us to be a little bit greater 
um, than we actually are and can inspire us in this moment. Are you scared of what people think of you? Well, be like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who when the Nazis came and took over the university, he was the only person at the university to quit and say, I'm not going to teach what the Nazis are teaching. Or maybe have the courage to share the gospel with everyone you meet, even that barber or the guy at the bus stop like G. Campbell Morgan did. Every person he ran into, he was like, hey, do you know Jesus? Let me tell you about him. There is so much we can learn from these flawed men. This show has taught me, doing Revive Thoughts has taught me, that it's not a surprise to find flawed men in history. That sinners are what you expect. That's what we believe, that we are all sinners. But what's amazing is how many of these people sacrificed so much of their lives and their families and their wealth and their educations and their careers and their reputations and so many things to share the gospel and let other people know about Jesus and to help and genuinely make the lives of the people better around them. And that's why we don't really aren't too bothered by flawed men here at Revive Thoughts. That's what you would expect to find. What is more mind-blowing and what is such an encouragement from church history is how many of these flawed men lived way above what their culture told them to and did so much greater things than any of us today can do. Yeah, and the Lord used them to build the foundation that we currently get the luxury of living in. You know, we w- Christianity wouldn't be where it's yes. at. Our society wouldn't be where it's at if it were not built off the backs of, of flawed people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll go on. That'll continue to be the case. We stand truly on the shoulders of giants. And the old-fashioned phrase is, we stand on the shoulders of giants, but we think we're flying. And we don't usually add that last part in when we hear that phrase. If you've ever heard standing on the shoulders of giants, you don't usually, the reason they add that last part is you think you're flying is because you, most of the time, you don't even realize whose shoulders you're standing on. The church right now, the only reason in some ways the church is doing as well as it is, besides, of course, the Holy Spirit's breathing into it and the word of God is, I, yes, I'm not, of course, is that a lot of people laid down a lot to do it so well. And I mentioned earlier, these are brothers and sisters in Christ. You are going to meet a lot of these people that you probably, some of you may even think you're better than in heaven someday. And, you know, you're going to have to sit there and sit across the same table from them. And just like the enemies you have in today's life that are Christians, you're going to be sitting across the table from them as well. And maybe, just maybe remember that they were flawed too. And they're going to look at you and they might see the flaws that Christ covered in you. And likewise, you're going to see the flaws that Christ covered in them as well. Awesome. Troy, thank you for <laughs> for bringing uh, us a, a thought about the flawed men throughout church history. If you've listened to this and you thought, hey, talk about this. Yes. <laughs> what, do you th- what do you think about this? Our email is in the show notes below. Or you can always contact us on yep. social as well. You can go there's, to our website. There's use the a contact, contact form, page. Yeah, mm-hmm. on our website. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know your thoughts. We'd love to hear feedback uh, either regarding this episode um, or yeah. suggestions Send for us a other topic. conversations. I, I love when people say, hey, you." a lot of sermons in our shows have been chosen because someone said, like, I love this. Have you heard of this guy? And some of the best shows come from that. Yeah, absolutely. So don't hesitate uh, to write and be looking forward to, to next week when uh, Troy, what sermon are we running next Thomas week? Spurgeon, the son of Charles Spurgeon, whom you might not know much about. And it's a very encouraging episode. I really enjoyed working Exciting. on it. Yeah. We hope you share this episode. Tell some people about it. Maybe you have some people that you've said, hey, you should check out Revive Thoughts. And they're going like, I don't know if that church history is for me. Um, share this episode with them and say, hey, you know what? They made an episode basically to answer why it is for you. And we hope you share it with them. We hope that they enjoy it. And uh, we hope that through this maybe conversation and future episodes like that, more people and more questions, more of these broader themes are covered. Other than that, this is Troy and Joel, and you've been listening to Revive Thoughts. Revive Thoughts.